All right, welcome everybody to this uh, edition of Breaking Absolutes. Um, really excited today I get to talk to Matt Hafey. I'm going to ask him if I'm pronouncing his name right because I've heard it three different ways. Um, but Matt is not going to be a stranger to most of you. He's a guitarist and lead singer uh, for Trivium. And um, my little story there, and we'll, maybe we'll mention it when we get into the show, but I was unaware of Trivium until I went to a Dream Theater show and they opened. And uh, they came out and was one of the very best live shows I've ever seen, like bar none. Um, was just completely blown apart by what they did. Uh, and I know they've actually had, had nominations um, for that very thing uh, as a live band. Uh, but let me set up a little bit um, on, on Matt and Trivium before we get into the conversation. So these guys have done nine studio albums. The band sold over a million albums worldwide. That's probably an old number. Um, nevertheless, telling of the kind of success and audience that they're, they're gathering. Um, they've been nominated for a Grammy for the song Betrayer uh, f- uh, in the, the Grammys for Best Metal Performance. Um, they've debuted at, on the de- uh, Billboard charts multiple times. Um, um, uh, number four on top, Heat Seekers. Um, they've toured with the very biggest bands in metal. I mean, you know, and that's, I don't think that's a throwaway comment. Um, there's a, there's a lot of groups that do some really, really great tours, and a lot of times it's um, multiple bands and tour support. These guys went um, very quickly into the circles of touring with the very best acts, and it speaks, to I think, to that live show uh, as well as to the music. Um, they've been nominated for Metal Hammer Golden Gods Awards. Matt himself won the Golden God Award. Um, they, their music has been included on video game soundtracks, and I know Matt's a gamer, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, God of War 3 is the one I'm referencing there. Um, reality is, in my prep t- for this conversation, there is a, there's a lot more of this. Um, let me just kind of, so I don't delay ta- having the conversation itself, say uh, the, you know, these guys are, are not only battle-tested as touring musicians, that's been acknowledged by the industry. Um, and it's important for me to say that because our point with this whole show is to try and break down stereotypes and, and find a way to broaden um, this music, which we think has a lot of real value uh, beyond just the aggression and thrill of it. So with that as a setup, let me bring on Matt. Matt, welcome. Up, man? Th- thank you so much for the kind words. Appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, all I was doing is uh, reading all of the, the, the accolades. Um, but I will say, uh, you know, I know from personal experience when I, I showed up at that Dream Theater show. Um, and, you know, I was, I'm just a huge DT fan. And so I'm just eager for them. So here's this act that's going to come out and, and make me wait. And I was like, you know, I was just annoyed. And then you guys just, I'm not, this, I'm not like blowing sunshine up your ass at all. It was such a thrilling live show. Uh, awesome. Thank you very much. Anyway, so, and, I, and all your fans that, you know, are listening to this um, know that. But I say it because our hope is that we've got a bunch of folks who are less familiar with you guys and we, can't, we can find a way to introduce them to you. Um, awesome, man. Thank you. Yeah, that, that's awesome. It stuck with you because that's that show that tour was about 10 years ago, too. So I'm very happy that we left a, a lasting impression with you. You did. Yeah, you absolutely did. I was, you know, and here's part of it is, um, and I want to talk about this when we get to your voice. But I I used to be sort of really what I considered um, elitist or purist about, you know, you, you sing, you sing this, this growl stuff, um, not cool. Um, and then what happened is some bands started uh, introducing it in a way that just kind of opened my mind to it. And you're part of that. Like you came up and you Thanks. started singing some of those songs. And um, I don't know, something just clicked and I kind of understood why and how that was a, a really cool vocal approach. And I know it's not all you do. And I do want to talk about some of your choices there when we get into it. But um, that's all That's all real. That's that's an authentic story. Um, but let's kind of, let's before we, and before we get into the rest of it, let me ask, like um, you've, you made news recently for, for how uh, how much you're on Twitch and not just about the money, but like the uh, how much you do on the platform. Um, is this is this how you've kind of found balance during COVID? Or, you know, or, or 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 have you had other activities that have helped you sort of navigate this weird time? I mean, th- I have been so I've been in trading for 22 years now. I've been streaming on Twitch for four years. Uh, as of three and a half years ago, it's when I integrated and implemented that really intensive schedule that people are starting to hear more and more about. But so three and a half years ago, whenever I was home off tours, five days a week, two times a day, and whenever I was on tour, travel 
pending, it's seven days a week, one to four times a day, streaming every single show, every single sound check, every single warm up, my entire days off of gaming, like everything. So wow. it's just something that I love to do because with our band, we've never been a band that has received, you know, I'm not saying, obviously you said some incredible accolades, incredible, incredible intro. Um, those are usually awards that are dictated by our fans and our supporters. We've never really been the press darling. We've never really been the band's band. Other bands don't talk about us all the time and press people don't talk about us all the time. However, our fan base has allowed us to do what we do for the last 22 years. So I wanted to find a platform in which I can give back to them and I can create another space in which the same thing with Trivium. We've always been a band that has fought for the acceptance of all people that, do not hurt one another. I mean, our lyrics have always been very, very blatant about that, that we are, I feel like message wise as a metal band, we've been pretty different. Yeah. And the fact that what we fight for, what we champion for, and that has drawn in an incredible array of people. So I wanted to go further with that. And I want to make a new space for that. And so after the first half a year of streaming on Twitch, I started realizing, wow, this is the next layer. This is where, hey, if you guys like our band and you're already following me on Instagram and Twitter and stuff, why not go further and go to the next level and actually get to know me beyond all this if you'd like to. Um, so that three and a half years ago is when I started. And obviously a year ago, the world shut down. So thankfully for me, it was business as usual. I was still doing that streaming schedule regardless. And now that everyone was home, could finally look at this thing that I had been talking to talking about to them for the last, at that point, I guess, two, two and a half years. And people could finally tune in. That's when the channel really started taking off a little bit more. And then obviously with the world opening back up, people are going back to work, which is fantastic, which means touring will be back soon. But this, the channel is still going to be here whenever they need it. Yeah. That's um, that sort of suggests a lot of foresight on your part. Uh, um, well, let me say that differently. Um, thoughtfulness, because uh, I know bands like you're just like how you describe yourself, where um, they have this ama amazing loyal following, but you don't even in the in the music trade you don't hear their name very often. Um, so finding a way to connect with that fan base is um, is really important and. Uh, you know, the more and, and I know we have common friends at Twitch who are who are trying, working to bring a lot of uh, more rock and metal artists on the platform as a way to do exactly what you've done. But it's still uh, pretty nascent, I would say. But you're kind of at this. In fact, you literally would describe to me as the gold standard <laughs> for, <laughs> for Twitch. Uh, that's well, thanks what, to whoever said that. Thanks, that was, thank you, Fred. It was I'm Fred. assuming that was Fred. Yeah, it was Fred. He, he pointed me yeah, to the channel just, and said, "Be like, be like Matt." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was really tough. I'm glad that nowadays a lot of people coming in, it has been you know easier because now people understand what Twitch is. But pre-pandemic, it was always me talking about Twitch, people being like, oh, is that the thing where you play video games on YouTube? I was like, no, that's absolutely not what it is. Yeah. Or people still, like up until the pandemic, were asking me like, oh, yeah, Matt, you do that video game thing all the time and you do well from that. It's like, well, you obviously didn't look into it. Is You know what the platform is. The platform is anything. It's live streaming, anything that you like to do, whether speaking or crafts or food or gaming or anything. Um, and it's all about bringing your community over. But it is very, very hard to port your fans from one thing to another. So yeah. there absolutely will, maybe is or was a misconception of, hey, all right, Matt is in a, quote, big band. Our band's not necessarily big. It's kind of right in the middle. Um, so he was able to stream and just do well. However, it really did take a lot of time to, like I said, porting your fans from one platform to another. People that are used to going to your shows, buying your merch on your at your shows or on your website and listening to you on DSPs or buying your CDs or records, it's hard to say, hey, here's a new social media you haven't heard of before yeah. that's primarily for gaming, but instead I'm going to play music on it 90% of the time and play some games as well. So once people were in their house, I think that's when the majority of people were able to come over. But when I first started streaming, it was very basic. It was me on a PS4 um, with a PS4 webcam, three to seven people at a time, 20 minutes a day. And I was like, this is cool. I love this. And I was obsessed at that point. And it was John Howell and Brandon Copert from Twitch who invited me to Twitch HQ, gave me a tour. I fell in love with it. I said, hey, I love touring. I'm uh, sorry, I love streaming. I'd love to do it more, but I can't because I blew my voice out in 2014. Um, it was improper screaming and singing for the last 15 years. And in order to correct that, I have a very regimented two to five hours. At, it was two to five hours at a point, two to five hours a day of singing screaming guitar playing rehearsing trivium songs five to seven days a week and i need to do that and john and brandon said why don't you stream that i said no one wants to watch me play trivium songs every day and do vocal exercises from a dingy basement <laughs> in the dressing room it's like i bet you they do when i started doing that the channel hit its first peak and started kind of growing a bit leveled off a little bit and from there you know the next real big upswing besides gradual just growing it and pushing it in every single way i possibly can was the pandemic itself and trivium we've always look to do things differently. We've always looked to do everything differently, specifically on the record cycle you were talking about in Waves. We did a couple tours. Uh, we toured with 
in the same record cycle and in waves, we toured with Dream Theater, In Flames, Five Finger Death Punch, and Asking Alexandria, four of the most different bands in the pos- in the world. They could never, I feel like those four can't really tour together. Like you can get a couple <laughs> combos, but we were the band that could tour with all four of those. Yeah. And we didn't say, hey, let's go out with Dream Theater and play our tech stuff because we do have an incredibly technical record that is absolutely right for Dream Theater fans. But we said, you know what? Let's let's pick something different. So for each set, we played the technical stuff for the five finger crowd. We played the heavy simplified stuff for the dream theater crowd. We played the more metal stuff for the asking Alexander crowd. And then we played the more core stuff for the in flames crowd, like always wanting to do things differently just because. Yeah, that's cool. And for that record cycle as well, we said, how can we present a live DVD different? So we made actually, we made a live DVD on that record that has no crowd. And that was 2011. We said, Hey, let's do this, which is kind of what live streams are nowadays. Um, I made all our videos, then have no performance. Uh, I said, all right, I've got long hair at this point. This was coming out of Shogun. What's the opposite of long hair, short hair? I'm going to cut my hair again. Let's make our riffs more simple from this super technical record we just did. And it's always about being different uh, different to ourselves, rebel- not rebelling against ourselves, but seeing what else we can do. And when it came time for nowadays, when we started seeing, all right, pan- this pandemic is probably happening. I remember saying it to everybody. I was like, this doesn't look good. I think this tour is going to get canceled. Everyone's like, Matt, you're being nuts. The world's not going to shut down. I was like, I'm telling you, I think the world's going to shut down. And so at this point, I started, I was like, I'm going to buy some, buy some masks and Lysol and hand soap right now. This was before anyone was talking about a face mask, before it was any issue to anybody. So I loaded up on this stuff. And then next thing I know, all these tours get striking and canceled. I was like, well, luckily I can keep streaming. So we said, at this point, we had a record coming out. We didn't want to delay it. We said, we want to give people that 30 minutes, that 60 minute escape. We don't care about physical CD sales. We don't care about vinyl sales. We don't care about that. We just want people to have a good time. Yeah. Let's get this record out there. Um, from there, we said, hey, let's let's invest all this money we've been saving up uh, for this tour to buy staging, but instead fund ourselves a live DVD, uh, a, a live stream. We did that. Live stream went well. And now we are almost ready to move into the airplane hangar that we just bought. That will be our studio, rehearsal space, production place, the, the head of where we're going to make our Trivium TV series. The, I, I won't disclose much about that yet. It's kind of a surprise. And live streams. So we're always trying to think forward and think ahead. Yeah, that's really, really cool to hear. Um, uh, not to harp on the DT thing, but they did something like that recently. They created what they call DTHQ. Uh, I think it's really, really smart um, because there's so much that you can do now direct to your fans with the know-how and the technology um, and a little bit of help. You don't not so reliant upon big budgets and, and um, secondary um, venues and all of that. Um, yeah. And, and your, your streams, I, you know, you, I know there, there could be a, a risk for some people to think, well, you know, he was already kind of a rock star. Of course he's going to have people, but I, I've, I found this, I don't know if it's a reticence, but as much as maybe it's just an, uh, um, people don't know of, of migrating to a new platform. I'm finding the same thing with Discord. Like it's uh, folks are, are slower to, to move over to Discord. Um, uh, and I know that's growing. Uh, do you, by the way, do you have a Discord? Do you run a? Yep. Yeah. Yep. We've got a, we've got a one that was mine that is now a Trivium Discord. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've, you've, you clearly have done that. And I think the variety is a, uh, a huge bonus because um, um, I know you do the gaming. I know that you do, um, you, you rehearse uh, on the, right on your channel. What are some of the other kinds of things people will find for folks who aren't familiar? Um, bits of everything. So I've got an IRL backpack. I actually have two now. So that's what I stream the shows from. We stream our shows from side stage where there's a direct board audio feed that is mixed specifically for Twitch. So that's every show. And we've been streaming every single show for free for the last three and a half years. And we'll continue on this Megadeth tour coming up, including sound checks. Uh, I've done yoga lessons from the road on that. Stream Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu sometimes from that. Um, I have made songs on my channel from, from, excuse me, from my room, whether it was the Mike Shinoda collab song or the Mike Shinoda produced song that I did here or the Richard Marks song that I did here, writing music, practicing music, playing songs, making covers, everything. Like I'll, I'll stream anything that is the creative process that I can stream from this room that I can stream from the backpack um, within reason. And yeah. the majority of this channel, like 75 to 90% of the time, it is me playing Trivium songs for the devoted Trivium fans. And the other time could be video games. It could be covers of things. It could be creating music, something else. Um, and that's, that's what it is. So it's, it's mostly those things. It's really cool how mobile you've made it to take it out when you guys are, um, and you know, and just to give your fans a peek at that when, uh, maybe they can't get to a show or just, mm-hmm. you know, when you're on tour and they get to see you more than once. Uh, I've done that where I, I, I want to see a band more than once, so I have to travel. 
mm-hmm. I like I like how this gives them a virtual experience to kind of be with you. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I've talked to some bands that are like, hey, don't you feel like you streaming every show for free? Doesn't that de-incentivize people to want to go to shows? But as you're referencing yourself, like nothing, nothing can recreate the feeling of being in a metal show. Like there's nothing in the world that can simulate that. You can watch it with killer headphones and killer speakers, but it's not the same as actually being in that room. So I feel like our live stream shows are something that just constantly keeps eyes on us and I, for me it's it's about giving a place non-stop to our supporters and our supporters are very international they're from all over the world so if we're doing yeah. something in the states then i want them to be able to watch us while we're in europe like you know if it's someone in europe who wants to watch this next tour and they can't be there and they've been waiting for shows they can watch every single show of this next tour for free and hang out with the side stage and hang out with amazing people that they've been able to get to know whether for a day or four years I mean, you are right. It's different. It's a different experience. So it's not like it's cannibalizing the ticket sale. And the second thing is, is um, a a real fan is never going to see you enough, right? If you give Mm -hmm. them, if you're on a tour and they have a chance to tune in multiple times, um, see you play, they're going to do that. Um, So I think that's really cool. um, To be honest, and I'm sure it's happening, but I'm not aware of another band who provides so much access. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Um, right when this pandemic happened, too, I made sure I put a big statement. I was like, hey, I've been on this platform for a little while. So any musicians, anyone in the world who needs help or assistance or has any questions about Twitch at all, please let me know. Like, I've been privileged enough to be able to talk to King Diamond about what Twitch is, to talk to Carl from Nile, to be able to teach Josh from Silosa slash Architects, to teach Brandon from Atreyu, my own band, um, all sorts of things. And I do feel like that thanks to this channel and thanks to us being on this so much, or me originally being on this so much, and then all four of us being on this so much, that we've been able to progress into the live stream show, the, the paid for one that was at the time the most successful metal paid for show. And we've done two incredible, gigantic, packed free ones as well on Twitch. And then now with the hangar coming out, we'll be able to do basically anything we want from there. Yeah. Wow, that's really exciting. Is there any timetable on that uh on your on your hangar? Or is that it looks like we'll finally be able to move in in about two weeks. So we'll start rehearsing oh, wow. for this Megadeth tour from there. Oh, that's so cool. Um, and I do want to get to some of the live dates. Um, but before we kind of go downstream that far, let's go back upstream. Um, so I was I was reading up, um, you know, on some of the early career stuff. And it looked to me like early on, um, you always had your hand in the pr- producing side of the records. But then at some point, maybe step back from that. Is that accurate? I mean, we've always been... You know, the, the three, like Paulo, Corey, and myself, and now, of course, Alex, we've always been very hands-on with it. We just didn't okay. always put ourselves in the credits of it. I mean, production is, you know, production can be anything from the ideas of vocal layering, vocal harmonies, to guitar tones, to restructuring the songs. Uh, in the early days, or even up until now, it's like a song is typically started by one of the four of us. And it's finished with the four of us in the room. Like you hear a lot about bands who write satellite, they send it to each other across the state or across the country, across the world. That's fine if that works for them. For us, I could start or, or have 99 to 100% of a song, but it does not become a trivia song until I walk into the room and the four of us get to play it, make sure we can sing it and stream it, play it together and see how we're feeling about it, making sure we love the music. That's when it really transforms into a trivia song. Yeah. So we all are, are all very involved with the production, but we don't necessarily always credit ourselves. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, cause I, and the only reason I bring it up is because, um, I, and it's just a label, but, um, on the first couple of records, like ascendancy, you and Jason, it's like listed mm-hmm. as, as producers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, we found it like easier at a point, like we used to be very specific, um, about like, all right, this song was written by this guy was written by this guy was written by this guy. And now for us, it's, trivium. it's just trivium. Yeah. It's just always trivium all for one, one for all. I, I think that works so much better and precludes or, or eliminates um, some of the sort of political infighting. Rush was that way. Really Rush does. went in and yeah. said, we're thirds, man. It's thirds all the way. Yep. Um, uh, that's that's how we do it. Everyone is, Alex is as important as I am, and he's the newest member of the band. And, you know, yeah. that's just the way it is. Yeah, I love the attitude. Uh, all right, so I want to talk about your voice. Um, this comes from a, a an authentic place because I'm a, a vocalist myself. So I it's the place I... I turn the magnif- magnification up the, the, the highest. Um, you, you've done this thing where you, and you, you described it a little bit like the change where um, maybe it was just you wanted to do something different, but then you also mentioned the, when you'd blown your voice out. How, how do you make decisions as a vocalist where you're going to go really aggressive with the screaming versus where you're going to go into something clean? nowadays like maybe it wasn't always this way before it used to be a little more calculated or hey this would make more sense this way or hey look we're feeling this or feeling that nowadays everything we do at least the last two records ever since sin and what the dead men say and the way we rehearse now 
we speak, we don't even need to speak in language. We speak the same musical language. So we're just playing it. Things happen. Like the way I wrote a sentence here, I remember the way we wrote a sentence together, the record, the four of us were in an old crappy storage container room together. And I would just sing and scream gibberish, just random words that would come out and take some of those words, take them some of those syllables. And they actually became things like light to the flies was specifically written like that blinding tears that deceived a lot of stuff through right nowadays is that way. And then later on to find out that that is a method and is a way that some of the biggest songwriters actually write, because if you try to plug in words right away, you're tripping over trying to find rhymes and reason and rhythm and story. Whereas if you just allow melody and just allow syncopation, la la's, blah, blah's, anything, then you can actually plug in afterwards. So you can focus first on the rhythm and rhythm and melody and then later on put meaning to that. So it's, I'm so lucky that I can walk in a room and have a riff. I don't even have to say, hey, Corey, can you play this thing on top of it? And he'll just play what's right on top of it. Alex will just play the beat that's right on top of it. Or if someone's like not sure where to go, the other one is. So the four of us really just, we have this amazing hive mind for everything that we do, that it's it's so easy. And I've heard from so many other bands that we're friends with, uh, that acquaintances that it's just not the same. You know, some is like yeah. run by one guy, some is run by two guys. Some it's like, this is, it's this guy's way or the highway in a band, but for us, it's whatever we're feeling, um, we can discuss it, but we almost don't even need to discuss it because the way we jam is just so, everything is so organic and so fluid because we've been doing this for so long together. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a, something ineffable that happens in the room. I, I, I want to get to the, the David Draymond connection in a minute, but I know that when they did the Immortalized record, they made a point to put themselves back in the room together versus the file swap. And, um, of course, we all know what happened with that record. So um, it, it's, it's interesting more bands don't, don't do that. Maybe it's, a, I don't know if it's a, you know, some sort of constraint on where they live. Um, but the kind of chemistry. I mean, to, to that point, to cut you off there, sorry, yeah, to cut, hold, please hold your thought, because I think it's a really good point you just brought up. Um, for us, even at peak COVID, uh, Paulo's living in Chicago, Alex living in Modesto, Corey and I were in Orlando. I've got newborn, I had like newborns at the time. So yeah. we're like, all right, there's this weird virus that no one knows anything about. It's not safe to travel how can we get together? We made sure each of us got tests before we flew out, flew in, each of us got tests, stayed in different locations, then only saw each other. So for the bands are like, oh, work. we can't do it. You can do it. There yeah. is a way. When there's a will, there's a way to make it happen because the music should take place over everything else. And no, we weren't rolling in money at this time. We weren't on tour. We weren't selling merch. We were just at home. So we made sure it worked and we saw how good it was. We're like, you know what? We need to live in the same place. We need to all be here. And Paulo basically moved to Orlando the next week and then Alex moved over the next two months. And so now we're all within 10 minutes of each other. And I do feel oh, that's, that's important. Cool. Maybe not for pop, maybe not for EDM, maybe not for specific bands. Maybe some bands say, hey, we do better. We don't love living in the same state. But for us, we need to all be close so that way we can get with each other anytime we have to. So sorry to cut you off, but that was an important thing you said. No, no, not at all. That was the point I was just driving at. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to generalize for everybody because uh, there's always this like everybody works different. But there's... Um, there's, and this channel, everything I'm doing is really focused on this idea that there's there's something about the music um, because of these studies that have come out from anthropologists that, that, that uh, suggest that um, metal fans are uh, more, more loyal to their spouses. My, 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 my folks who follow me hear me talk about this all the time. They're, they're better adjusted with work-life balance, all of these things. There's something about um, the, the, the community or the family you, I mean you talked about it with there's, you can't replace being at a metal concert um, this anthropologist I talked to said this it, she talks about it in terms of building like cred like you know if you were there um, it's like I told you the story about when I saw you play with Dream Theater like that's a moment in time that uh, is part of my identity as a member of the community and I think that's it something like that's true also for the, the people who make the music like yourself and um, absolutely, I don't think you can replace that. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that you guys are now co-located so you can uh, you can do that, because I do think the, the music suffers when you try and, you know, file swap. It really does. And we've experimented with that. We've experimented in our band with setting constraints for ourselves, like um, our third record, The Crusade. I'm proud of every single record we've, we've ever done. The third record, The Crusade, I was 18, 19, Ascendancy just so earlier I mentioned that we've never been a press band. The only time we've ever been a press band was for about 10 months in the UK. We had a gold record that blew up. Every tour sold out. We were main stage download openers. And that was with Ascendancy, but it only lasted about 10 months. And so I started seeing like, all right, we've got all these fans that love us, but then there are people that don't get it. And people that are saying, all right, because you guys have short hair and 
you come from this different thing and there's singing and screaming and there's breakdowns, but there's also souls. You guys don't know what metal is. And I was like, you know what? I'm from metal. So I'm going to show you. So the next record, I decided that, Hey, let's make a record that is the exact opposite of everything we've done. There's no screaming, no breakdowns. Let's show people our roots of eighties and eighties metal. And that was what the crusade was. Yeah. Uh, so we said nothing that happened on a sentence is allowed to happen on this one. So it was really cool that we did that, but though that was a time that we set a constraint ourselves. That was also a time where our band was going through some weird turmoil. None of us were speaking in the band. We were wrote everything separately this was this guy's song this guy's song when each one of us in the studio we weren't the studio together weren't speaking to each other then the next record you saw the chemistry we're back together in the room back together jamming and shogun is arguably one of you know our fan favorite records in waves we did the same thing as well so in waves ascendancy ember it was us in the room making what we felt like making crusade was a rebellion against ourselves vengeance falls with david vengeance falls silence of the snow and crusade were three records where the pre-production of the record we didn't do vocals. Crusade was my idea. Silence was producer's idea. And Vengeance was roughly David's idea because he, he said like, hey, let's be fluid. Let's let's be able to be on the fly and be able to make changes on the fly. But what happens when you don't do vocal production while you're jamming these songs in the room, you don't know what you can play and sing. You don't know what feels oh, right yeah. to play and sing. So there are actually some simple songs on Silence or Vengeance that are very easy to play in guitar that are much harder to play and sing than our most technical stuff because yeah. we didn't jam it in the room together. And those three, we set those constraints. We said, let's stay over here. Vengeance, it was like a conscious, let's not go too far over here, too over here. Let's let's play over here of Trivium. So it's the same thing. We're like, hey, we went back to 80s thrash. Let's go back to... Dio, Heaven and Hell, Maiden, Judas Priest, Black Sabbath vibes. Let's have no screaming at all. Let's let's stick in this lane. Great record, proud of it, but Trivium does best. We're happier, happiest as Trivium and our fans are happiest as Trivium fans when we set no boundaries and we just allow the boundaries to naturally happen from us jamming and from us playing. And that's what you hear on Dead Men and Sin in Waves, Shogun, Ascendancy, Ember, These this boundless thing where there are no constraints, there are no rules. And I, I believe that that is the best way that Trivium can be. And thankfully, we all agree with that. Like, let's yeah. just let the music happen and see if we like it. Yeah. So, I mean, so this goes back to where we started when we were talking about your voice. Uh, one of the ways that you make choices um, is re super organic is your, your, your um, uh, what they call it? Um, it's the jazz term. I'm blanking on it. Sorry. But your, your, uh, oh, with the uh, writing, scatting. the improvisation. You're, you're kind of scatting. Like you're, you're coming up with melodies and, and rhythms um, and you're, you're deciding, hey, I'm going to get, dig in and do some screaming here. Here I'm going to get into uh, a more a more traditional sort of melody singing, but you're doing all of that I in the absence of of lyrics, and it, it's happening organically while you're you're creating the music. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's the best way. And and sometimes these patterns do seem like, hey, did, was he was he coming with them sporadically? Was it was like what is the sequencing? But if you look at a song like like to the flies, the guitar part. I'm fitting in the vocals to fit on that guitar. Yeah. So like they're actually written on top and I'm pulling the rhythms out of that. But that's what happens when you don't think about it. Um, however, like a record like the Crusade Ignition, I wrote the vocals separately from the guitar without the guitar in my hand. So sometimes things don't fit in. Yeah. So that's that's why it's so important to sing and scream and be in that room together. Um, I'm sure the question is going to happen, but you definitely made me think about it a little bit. So you're asking about the, the techniques and stuff, the singing and screaming, the way I approach it. Um, I have two techniques. Uh, there's the Trivium style and there's the Ibaraki style. Ibaraki is my my black metal project that I've been working on for the last 11 years. It's produced and co-written by Ishan from Emperor, who's one of my heroes. He's makes, if you, if you like dream theater and you haven't heard Ishan, I think you'll love it. It's yeah. very technical, very proggy, very jazzy, but also post black metal essentially. Um, but the two techniques. So Trivium, what I do in every single record ever is, and this was really, Ishan is the one that helped me realize this. Cause when I was getting into this, the solo record, I was like, I've only ever done the singing and screaming that I've done in Trivium. You know, there's the super clean, there's the kind of gritty singing, and then there's a super distortion. Like, what do I do? He's like, when you do Ibaraki, I challenge you to not do anything you've ever done on Trivium before. And this is 20, 21 years in my career. I was like, Ishan, there's nothing else I can do. He's like, I bet you can. So I found this other technique that is essentially what I do on stream. It's what I do live, and it's what I do in Ibaraki. It's this, it's this very maintainable, very... Uh, it's this style of singing and screaming that doesn't wear out. 
Trivium Records, it's very, as Ishan called it, very masculine, very aggressive. It's very pushed. Like the screaming that you hear on the records, like when I do that stuff, my voice is gone for a long time because it is very forceful. It's pushing air as hard as I can. It's making the vocal cords flap and collapse into each other. And that's why it sounds so good. And the singing is the same thing. Very brutally, very forced, very intense, kind of painful. But when you make a record, that's a moment in time and it needs to be that great. That's what I was doing every show of my life up until 2014. I was doing a record performance for every single show, destroying my vocal cords. So when I developed this new style with Ron Anderson, he's taught Axl Rose, uh, Chris Cornell, um, Matt from Avenged. Matt's the one that licked me up with him and I blew my voice out. That's the style I developed that now live and on stream and all of this, it is just as brutal and just intense as the sound of the record, the sound of the memory of the record. But this thing is sustainable. It's maintainable. It's something that I can do all the time. So that's the Ibaraki style. And then there's the Trivium style. The Trivium style is the very intense, forceful, aggressive vibe. So when you're tr- tr- uh, touring live, think- what's that? Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry. One of my good friends, Dakota, just popped in. So I just give him a shout out. Dakota's, what's up, my friend? Um, so Peter, like, as you know, it's Twitch culture with rating and all that stuff. Dakota's, this is my friend, Peter. Peter's my friend, Dakota's. Peter, originally, I was a huge fan of Dakota's. I still am a huge fan. But like when I got into Twitch, he was my favorite streamer. So one day I tweeted him. I was like, hey, let's let's play some Fortnite together. Oh, nice. Just, I, wasn't, I wasn't expecting an answer. He's like, dude, let's do it. And so ever since then, Dakota's and I have been in real life friends. We were grabbing lunch together every single day before the world shut down. But so he just raided in here and now all his friends are in here watching as well. So Dakota's, thank you so much. Dakota's, Dark Army, this is Peter. He's interviewing me right now. So you get to learn a little bit more about Kichi. Love you, Dakota's. Thank you. Sorry, Peter, you're saying? No, no, that's good. Thank you. Uh, so I was going to say, so you, you uh, I, and I did read about your work with John Anderson. Um, is, is this technique then, I, I get that when you, you know, you go into the studio and record a record, you know, you're doing a record performance. When you toured the Trivium stuff, are you using this te- technique? Or are you still? Once I got this technique down was basically like 2014 on. And the reason why I stream so much and the reason why I stream so much Trivium is to outweigh the bad muscle memory. So thanks to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I started learning when I first ever started, but that's a whole nother subject, I guess. I do want to get into that, though, so go into it, because I'm a big MMA fan. Oh, you are awesome, awesome. So when I first ever started Jiu-Jitsu, I was like, all right, I should be able to pick this thing up. I remember the first time I graduated to being able to grapple with someone, my partner, my my first opponent was 16 years old, 150 pounds. I got this. He choked me out in 30 seconds. (laughs) I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm talking about. And so with Jiu-Jitsu, we realized that we don't know how to fall right. We don't know what to do when someone chokes us. We don't want to do like any, basically anything. Our muscles aren't trained. But if you outweigh the bad habits or when you're learning things, if you, if you train with bad habits, that becomes something bad. Train with good habits becomes something good. Right. So I looked at the 15 years of Trivium was a bad habit. I need to outweigh this. That's why I stream so much. That's why I have such a dedicated schedule. It's this hand-in-hand thing of outweighing all the bad hours that I've ever put in to put in all the good hours of the singing and the screaming and the technique and all that stuff. So that's that's part of the reason I learned that methodology from jujitsu because with trivium i didn't realize i was learning something i didn't realize i was learning to sing scream and play guitar i was just doing it yeah. but with jujitsu it was a concentrated effort of hey i want to get good at this and i was basically getting my ass kicked for three to five years and not knowing what i was doing then finally around like record or year six seven eight it started making a lot of sense to me um so that's that's kind of goes hand in hand with that but the technique I knew live since essentially 2014 is that Ibaraki technique. The screaming, instead of being chambered here in the vocal cords, Ron Anderson's method is actually in the pharyngeal larynx. So the area behind the uvula, kind of on the way to the sinuses, that acts as the vocal folds slapping against each other for the screaming. And that's what creates the screaming tone. So once I developed it, it took a long time. And when I first started, people were like, your screaming sucks now. What happened to you? I don't like your band anymore. And I was like, <laughs> I blew my voice and I'm trying to get there. Now it's there. Yeah. Now, because of the physiology, of my skull it's the same sound because it's the same human skull so it's just chambering the the rasp from here to here and that's the same thing chris cornell axel rose matt sanders they all did as well they're not chambering they're screaming from here it's from here yeah um so it's different mechanics um and thankfully now i know the difference between it's just makes it easier for our fans to understand the trivium style or the ibaraki style yeah no I, and i misspoke earlier i you said i i repeated you wrongly i said um John Anderson. It's Ron Anderson. No worries. No worries. Um, but I wanted to bring it up because we have musicians that that follow what I'm doing. Because I'm a, I, I I moved to Seattle to train with a guy by the name of David Kyle, and he's he's the cat that trained Jeff Tate and Lane Lane uh, Staley and the Wilson Sisters from Heart. And it's very much about getting up into the mask of the face to get a real forward resonance and getting it off of the throat. But it was uh, it was not with any any sort of real focus on dis- vocal distortion. Uh, and that is an area that I still find to be 
challenging because um, if I do it very much, I just I, – so I've actually been thinking about trying to find someone who could uh, teach that to me. So Ron, maybe- Ron is the guy. I, I would book some FaceTime lessons with him, and he'll teach you. What's funny, what you mentioned about the vocal teacher not really putting emphasis on it, when I first started training with Ron, I was like, I want to learn to scream. He's like, yeah, it's fine, but here's how you sing. Yeah. Like he still barely even covers the screaming because his method is once you learn how to use the mask, once you learn how to use the pharyngeal larynx, once you learn how to have all the mechanics in place and it becomes an effortless thing, the screaming is so easy that you just flip it on. Yeah. And basically the, what his method is, is once everything's super warm, it comes from the same place as like a, like from there, that's where you start to find that buzz within your head. Yeah. And then you kind of pinch down on it. But what's interesting is I started once, once I've got the technique down, his warm-up is very long. His warm-up's an hour. Like he said, that's what it takes. I've talked to some vocal teachers say, oh, if you're warming up more than seven minutes, you're embarrassing yourself. And, you know, every single singing teacher, they talk about their method like it's the only method in the world. That's what I hate. Singer does. That's what I hate. Yes. But luckily with Ron, he's like, this is what works for me. And yeah. he kind of just leaves it at that. But he's like, I'm going to show you the right way if you want to know the right way. So what I say to everybody is what works for you may not work for someone else. But with Ron, um, it is, it's what worked for me. So I took notes. I experimented with zero minutes to an hour and a half to two hours of warm up versus the time in between versus you know five minutes to two hours set. So I took every single variable of those two things: thirty minutes set over here, six hour window, eight hour window, ten minute warm up, and I, I tested all these things. Um, what I learned is if I warm up for an hour and I've got a five to eight hour break in between, because that's actually the way Ron first ever mentioned to me. That's the way Matt and Miles Kennedy do it then you're super warm for the show. Now, the longer the break in between for me, the more incredible and smooth and high range the singing is. So I can sing like operatic power metal if I have a big, big, long gap. However, the screaming starts to get drier and drier. But if I try to get the screaming immediately after the warm-up, that's when the screaming is the most brutal. So if I do an hour warm-up and get straight into a set, the screaming is incredible. The singing has this really weird vocal breakup, like this natural rasp that I always said I don't have, but then it has that. But as the hours go longer in the in-between, that smooths out and the screaming becomes slightly drier. The singing becomes cleaner. So it's, it, it took a lot of notes, but that's what I, that's what I realized. So uh, just so I got this clear then. So, so his, his uh, teaching is you'd spend an hour doing warm up, then you'd, mm-hmm. you take a significant break before you sing the show. When you're just yep. practicing at home, do you do the same thing? Do you wake up and, and warm up and then actually yep. do your rehearsal later in the day? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's that's what the two the two sets originally the planned timings of my sets okay. for streaming was that, oh. so that way that first that first stream included the warm up into my warm up for the show and the show was the three o'clock stream, so it's like that integrated. I that's made it that structured. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating to me. I've never I'm probably just a blind spot for me, but I've never heard this notion of. Um, I have heard vocalists talk about. Um, throughout the day, <clears throat> avoiding speaking as much as possible and, and doing humming just to kind of place the voice and, and yep. uh, lubricate the voice. But I, this I've is- tried all those things. I heard all those things. I remember hearing like I thought it was reflux. I thought it was coffee. I thought it was eating too much. I thought it was this. I thought it was not talking at all. And it was just technique. That's all it was. It was yeah. nothing else. Now I eat whatever I want on tour. I still make sure if I eat super heavy, like I at least I'm sitting up for three hours. Um, but everything I thought it was, it was purely just technique. Um, and when I first ever heard, oh, you warm up for an hour and then have three to five to seven hours in between, and you can talk in between, rewarm up and do the set. I was like, holy cow, that sounds like a long day. Um, but I, I started picking different pieces because I know I, I'm pretty sure Miles doesn't speak after he warms up. I know Matt does not. But for me, I, I brought it up to the guys. And I started having a couple issues with different parts of my voice because that's, that's the proof that everybody, everybody is different. Every vocal cord is different. And um, Paula was like, you know what? The idea of over babying your voice sounds contradictory. And I remember he was also like, that's a huge chunk of time in between. But the proof is there. Like if I want to sing priest and queen and... James Labrie range. It's easy as hell if I have a giant break in between. Yeah. But if I sing it right after warming up, the high range is not there yet, but the screaming is super brutal. So now I think for shows, it's just better if I warm up 30 minutes is the in-between and then go into the set. So that way the screaming is on any high notes I can't hit. I can actually do pitched screaming now, which I've never been able to do in my entire life. But now I can actually have a super high note within a scream, which always sounds cool. I didn't know I could do that. But that's from if the warm up goes right into the show. 
versus the other way. So the uh, sorry to to stay on this, but um, I find it fascinating. The the when you do, so you landed on oh, an hour warm up. That's the first thing part for yep. you. Yep, I tested all the different lengths, but the hour was the right one. Um, and it, and it's a warm up of purely it's purely head voice. Uh, excuse excuse me. Um, it's not purely head voice. It's first thirty minutes of purely head voice exercises, like all those the normal ones. Yeah. Uh, the next twenty minutes is head voice of trivium songs. This is the way I do on. I haven't done a tour in a long time. So the next twenty minutes is trivium in head voice. So everything one hundred percent head voice, high stuff, low stuff in between. The screaming starts to kick in there. The last ten minutes is the mixed voice of me singing the Ibaraki style as if it's live where i bring in the power of the chest voice into the head voice and that's the last 10 minutes and it's the 30 minute interval between and i, I don't bother with not speaking anymore i used to do that yeah. i think i just psych myself out so i'd like to make it where i'm talking like normal i maybe do like run of the hills is a really good song right before the set i need like a quick another three to five minute warm-up right before the show itself then i do a five minute cool down after the set and i'm good to go yeah i do uh it it's so fascinating to hear d different vocalists. Uh, I um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go look up Ron and see if I can't find some time with him because I spent significant time with David, uh, and I can get all the notes and I get it with with a power that I don't usually hear. Um, but I can't. I haven't been able to get all of this sort of distortion in my voice. Or when I do it, it limits the amount of time I've got before then I lose the range. Yeah, Ron's the man. I mean, he's. The, the screams that you hear, hear Axel do seldom, you know, that, that's all Ron's methods, all that super nasally in the mask. That's, that's Ron. Yeah. Um, Ron's biggest student right now is the weekend. Who's the biggest musician in the planet. Yeah. So it's, it's just like, he's so versed. Uh, Ron's teacher was Freddie Mercury's teacher. So the guy that taught Ron was Freddie Mercury's teacher. Okay. A good pedigree yeah. there. All right. Well, good. Well, now we've got some background on, on, uh, which I wanted to talk to you about because I think that um, it, this is my opinion, but, my channel so I get to say what I want in the sort of world of vocalists you 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 sit in this very unique class and there's some other guys there but I don't think it's very big uh, and I don't know if it's because lack of training or lack of interest or just you know desire on the kind of music they want to make but um the the sort of power and range and then the, the variety with which you sing whether it's the really clean whether it's with some grit or whether it's just full-on sort of brutal um uh, it's a it's a it's a very like unique set of skills you have as a vocalist. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And I, I, like, you know, so I, I wanted to say it out loud. I have a lot of regard for you as a vocalist, as a consequence. Thank you. What I've seen. Appreciate you that. Do. Uh, well, it's a blast to be able to talk to vocals because most of the chats I do, they're not singers too. So I can't really talk about this stuff or, you know, modern day metal, modern day metal core. It's like, they've got a screamer and they have a singer. Yeah, it's not usually the two and there's only yeah there's like a handful of guys that do it um you know i feel like there are a couple guys that do it better than me but like i the difference of me it's like i kind of go sometimes into that power metal range which is something that doesn't make sense with the death metal stuff with the metalcore range of the screaming too and i love mixing those polar opposites because that's yeah. what i've always been all about i got into metal first then i got into extreme metal then i got into metalcore and i love the idea of mixing influences of satanic black metal and christian metalcore in the same thing like two polar opposites and i've always been about just like hard opposites and making those things into something unique yeah who's some of your favorite um metalcore bands Who are the guys um, the metalcore bands that got me into metalcore the first ones i ever heard were heaven shall burn and caliban the german metalcore bands. so german metalcore was like really the first thing i got into but uh poison the wells tear from the red was a huge influence on me when i was like 16 17 on broken wings i remember telling the atreyu guys they were one of the first metalcore bands i ever saw when i was like maybe 16 or so on the suicide notes record so i was very well versed in like metallica through slayer and i knew all of that stuff by yeah. heart then i knew all death metal and black metal melodic death metal. the gothenburg scene was huge for me dark tranquility at the gates in flames that was a massive massive influence but the thing that really capped off the influence was metalcore like poison the well under oath betray you heaven shall burn caliban uh bands like that that's yeah. what really took me to the next level converge hate breed and then just allowing more and more to come into the influence uh petrucci was the guy that got me to practice on the metronome the guy the guy that got me into using a jazz three pick rock discipline was the video the vhs and the booklet is what i used every single day in high uh -huh. school i was I got in a drink theater before getting into like really extreme stuff. And he got me into a seven string. So the reason why Trivia uses seven strings is because it's Petrucci and Korn. So like two polar opposite players, polar opposite techniques are what got me into that. Yeah. I love, I love the, um, the uh, through line through a lot of our conversation is how, co you know, conscious you are of the things you're doing and um, deliberately making choices to 
um, push yourself, do something different. Um, some bands do that organically. Some bands, I, I think, for whatever reason, don't regard it. And so just their, their music doesn't have any sort of um, change in it. Um, mm-hmm. And th- sometimes that's fine. By the way, before I forget, when we're talking about um, crazy different vocal approaches, I, I, I don't never met him, but I was reading about Vince Neil, and he says, I, people shouldn't what I, do what I do. He, he goes into the bathroom <coughs> and just screams, just full out, just scream, scream, screams. There's no warm up. It's just, it just screams. Whatever he's doing, he needs to change it up. <laughs> he needs to start <laughs> training with Ron or something because I saw that last live DVD or live show. So, yeah, he needs, he needs to start training with Ron. Yeah, I, say. I, you know, I've, uh, the, 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 Later on, he was not doing all the same stuff that he was doing earlier. I think I think the older you get, the the, the training and the discipline matter more. I think you. Yeah, there are some guys, some guys that need to do a lot. Like I always heard, Dickinson never warms up, never had lessons. Ronnie James Dio never warmed up. He like had a glass of wine, I think, like smoked a joint, walked on stage. (laughs) And those two are two of the greatest of all time. Howard Jones, who I regard as one a better singer screamer in one guy than I am. He doesn't warm up, never had lessons. But guys like me, guys like Matt from Avenged, uh, we need to warm up a lot. Guys like Miles yeah. Kennedy, we need to warm up a lot to make our stuff sound the way it sounds. And yeah. that's fine. Like, everybody requires different levels of warming up. Like, even when I do jiu-jitsu, some guys just walk in. They walk in cold, and they, they grapple great. Me, I foam roll for 15, 20 minutes or 15 minutes, and I have to do another set of exercises. I have to do something like mace or kettlebells before going into jiu-jitsu. And I have to break my first sweat from my first grapple before my body actually is ready to go. Yeah. No, I, I think that's actually a really important part of the conversation, which is you need to um, have enough interest in what you're doing to figure out what's going to work for you. Because I talked to Howard. I was, I was fortunate to have him on the show recently. And he said people will come to him and say, man, you know, where did you do your classical training? <laughs> and he just laughs. Yeah. I've never done any yeah, training. He's, he's, he's one of the greatest of all time, and he just, just does it. And he was, he was a big influence on me. I remember when I first ever heard his voice, I was like, oh, so I'm allowed to do both? It was actually getting into him and Michael from Opeth. Like, I was like, oh, I can do both of these things, and that's okay? I want to do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And that, that, was, that was very important for me to hear those guys. And also to hear Michael from, uh, from Dark Tranquility, to hear really amazing old school Gothenburg style screaming, but also this beautiful like Depeche mode style kind of sad operatic new wave thing. Yeah. And I was, I love those contrasts. And that, that is why too, like we always want to do something different. That's why we made the polar opposite of like a sentence he killed and we could have made a sentence part two and maybe our band would have stayed in the concert up and up, or maybe we would have died off by making the same thing over and over again. Some bands do great with doing the same thing over and over again, but sure. I feel like we succeed in doing very, very different things. You know, um, and, and it's, it's a testament. I don't know what it is. Um, I'm not that smart that has made it possible for you to make these changes and stay successful because another band that I'm a huge fan of is Queen Drake, And they were, ve- mm-hmm. they I very love, deliberately love made changes um, album to album, like it consciously, it was let's do different things, and mm-hmm. it, there was some. It was after the Tribe album, they really started to lose a lot of their audience. I re- I, I had so much respect for them for continuing to like we're going to do something very very different, um, but there was something um, quintessentially un Queensrykean about some of those later records, and their fans just kind of abandoned them for a long time. Um, that hasn't happened to you guys. Your changes, um, at least it doesn't appear that. Peachy, you're growing. We've definitely had some serious ups and downs. I mean, Have if you? you look at our history, so Ascendancy is where, tr- like, Tribune had no fan base. Ascendancy blew up in the UK. All of a sudden, we had the UK, but we had nowhere else in the world. The Crusade came out. The UK, although it sold well, it's a gold record, the UK did not like the record. So the same magazine that said we're the greatest band in the world and the next Metallica would put us on the covers and the features would be this band is done. They're over. They're terrible. Oh, man. Um, However, the Crusade is what inspired Iron Maiden to bring us out on tour. I remember crazy story incredible story bruce dickinson interviewed us for his bbc show i never met him before i was just picking his pricking his brain about vocals and he's like you know what after hearing your new record i believe when you know after some years of development you will have a voice like ronnie james dio that's bruce dickinson told me that i was like okay that's really cool next record cycle we're touring with heaven and hell in japan i tell that story to, to ronnie james dio and ronnie james dio he laughs and smiles like you know bruce finally finally admitted that i'm one of his heroes <laughs> i just thought that was such an amazing story yeah. um shogun blew up in australia in waves is finally where we got germany vengeance falls is where the state started picking up germany still liked that record Silence of the Snow is very power metal-y. Like, I feel like power metal fans should like it. It's very classic metal. Germany did not like it. And it's something I thought would have blown up in Germany, but actually did not. 
Uh, and silence is where we started blowing up in the States finally. And then the sin and the sentence really capped off the States, brought the UK back to us, leveled everything in the same place. Everyone was happy. And then Dead Men, I believe, was a, was a further cementing of that where all the territories were finally happy. So it, it's been like It has that. been a journey, yeah. Yeah, it's it's been nuts. It's been nuts. <laughs> well, um, I don't know, though. It's, I, it's, uh, it takes some testicular fortitude to stay committed to change. Thanks. Right? Uh, when, Absolutely. Um, uh, just to kind of give an example of that, uh, I worked with John uh, very closely on The Astonishing, and that's their most polarizing record. And um, yet, in some regards, some of their best work. And so you see how you can do the thing you think is the best, and you're still, you don't know how the, how the consumer, how the fans are going to react to it. Um, yep, absolutely. And I, and I find like the, the best thing to do at this place, like once once we've kind of really investigated everything and, and gone through it all is I mentioned the three records, Silence, Vengeance, Crusade, three records we're very proud of. We love, you know, if I had to rank my favorites, they probably end up kind of in the lower end of it, which is fine. You have to be able to be constructive over stuff. It's the records in which we allowed everything and anything to happen. The ones that would have beautiful, clean singing mixed with screaming and shrieking and black buttery blast beats into a breakdown and mixing these things that shouldn't ever go together those are the ones that the best oh, so it's it's really a like the band has to please themselves first yeah. and i know that some bands might think that's selfish i do see a lot of bands that i love that have made some really weird decisions and i i hope that they wanted to make those decisions like if they did awesome you wanted to do that you're feeling good I love it. I back it. However, if you were trying to grab a different fan that doesn't exist, the the boardroom fan, the, hey, let's sit at this table. Who do we need to grab? All right, these people like these kinds of bands, these kinds of bands. Let's write a song to grab them. That's when you've hurt yourself, and that's when you've yeah. you've messed up your integrity. But, like I said, if it's a band that was heavy, that made something soft, and they, that's what they wanted to do, and they love it, and they back it, awesome. I back that. I, I can't tell. Like, I don't know what their thinking and their logic is going to be. Yeah. But if they did it to grab someone else and they didn't try to make the music they wanted to hear first and the kind of music that made them feel good about playing music in the first place and that's when they're hurting themselves they're stifling their career yeah i think that's that's uh, a- absolutely uh, essential advice um pleasing yourself first has got to be a cardinal rule um yep. when you try and write and chase an audience um i think yeah well at the very least you're just going to end up with something that you you don't like um, and I think your I, fans I forgot the exact tell. term. It was either John Howell, my, my mentor from Twitch, uh, who's no longer there. He's retired at the nice age of 34 years old. Imagine that. Lady. Wow. I'm 34 and retired. Must be nice. Is that uh, it was Amazon, stock? Was... A- Amazon stock? <laughs> yes, sir. John, John's crushing. It was either who's he is my kid's godson or godfather backwards. He is my kid's godfather. It's my okay. son's godfather. That's cool. my daughter's godfather. Um, it was either John or it was Paulo that said the phrase something like fictitious fan or boardroom fan. Something like they had a better term than I did. Um, but John was like, you know, making the stuff for the, the, the devoted, loyal audience that you have, no matter how big or small that devoted audience is, that's more important than trying to grab people that don't know who you are yet. Yeah. Um, and yeah. There's also this, um, there's also this uh, idea that you, anybody almost can have a career if they've got a thousand people who will buy anything they make. So someone's music, merch, um, all the things. Uh, if you continue to, to satisfy that thousand who are so into what you're doing, you may not make the cover of all the magazines and make all the money, but you're going to be able to, to provide for yourself. And that, for me, that's always been the benchmark for success. You know, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I feel like the, the term of success has been super bastardized, especially in this country. Success to me is doing what you do for a living and not having to worry about your grocery bill, not having to worry about your rent. Like yeah. that's success. Success is not excess. That's and right. That, that's, that's something a good that people to need to remember. Yeah, I like that. Hey, so let's talk about the David Draymond con- connection. Uh, yep. He uh, um, came over and did some producing for you. How'd that happen? Uh, David was a big fan of Trivium, actually, from Ascendancy. Remember, he was at our Chicago show. Uh, we met him afterwards. He's like, hey, I'm David from Disturbed. We're all like, we know. We're, <laughs> we're big fans. We've... <laughs> We've watched your career the whole time, and he loved Ascendancy. We were doing a tour with him on Mayhem, and Waves just came out. He's like, I love In Waves so much. He's like, you guys, would you guys be up for me producing a record? I'm like, let's do it. Have you ever produced a record? Uh, you know, he's done Disturbed stuff. I was like, have you produced a band that's not Disturbed? He's like, no, like, let's do it. Um, the record was incredible. We lived at his house for six weeks. It was super fun. We watched a lot of UFC. We ate a lot of good food. We jammed. Um, woke up, went to the gym every day. So it was a really, really fun, laid back, awesome experience. David is a hilarious, 
amazing, great person, great friend. Uh, he shared great insights on the, the writing of, you know, that's when I realized writing those rhythmatics, writing those blah blahs on top of things is the way to write. Like he's like, let's do it this way. So that way we don't have to get tripped up on lyrics. We write the lyrics later. And I realized, wow, this is something I've been doing. I didn't realize this was the right way to do it. Yeah. David's amazing. Just incredible singer, great songwriter, great guy. And it was a blast. Yeah. I, um, I was fortunate. I was, when I was at Microsoft on, with, I was with Xbox for 15 years and That's um, awesome. the, I was doing, I did a bunch of music marketing and I got to go down to a private listening party at his place in Austin when he l- released the device record. Um, and That's I don't, where we recorded our record there. And I, I, this is not to suggest we're friends or there's any deep connection there. Just that like my experience in meeting him was the same sort of um, really cool, approachable person that you're describing. Um, but yeah, I got to sit, I got to sit in his studio in that place and he sat behind the desk with all the stuff and he played, just sat there and he played the whole record for us. Um, He's such a good dude. We, we had so much fun. I mean, we just would watch from his theater room. We watched UFC have beers and eat incredible food from Austin and yeah. just really wonderful time. I, I do, I do miss hanging out with him. He was an amazing, 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 amazing guy. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, I just, I, I wanted to, to ask how that transpired. Um, Heck yeah. Now let's talk about, um, by the way, do you have a hard stop at the hour? I do. Okay. Uh, I got twins. They're two and a half. And my <laughs> wife just texted me that she might need a hand in a sec. Okay. Well, I was going to. If the, you got one more, let me know. Yeah, they're totally fine. I, uh, uh, I don't want to take you over time. I, I, I was going to talk about it, but let me just sort of make the comment, which is I, I read about how you left because your, your wife, you're going to go be with your kids. So cool that you would make that choice. I mean, and obviously you had great support from musicians who were going to help make sure that the tour went off. But, um, I, you know, maybe I don't want to sound maudlin, but I think it took a lot of courage to step away from that, but to prioritize your family. So I wanted to commend Absolutely. you Absolutely. Thank you so much. I was so lucky that Paulo and Corey stepped up. They filled up my parts. Howard Jones and Johannes from Avatar and Jared Dines and Brandon Seller from Atreyu. Those four plus Paul and Corey, those those guys all divided up my parts, and they they made they didn't cancel a single show. I don't think they had to cancel any songs out of the set list. We still did a seven, uh, 75, 90 minute headlining set without me, and I watched every single one from my stream from the backpack <laughs> while I was in the hospital. How did um just real quick? How did uh, you know Jared Dines? Because you've you've since done some other collaborations with him. Uh, Dines, I was a fan of his YouTube. Uh, oh, one yeah, day yeah. someone mentioned shred, uh, you know, shred wars with me. And I said, I would love to, I love Jared. So we did that and it becoming good pals. Uh, we talked about doing a record. He sent me some songs he was, uh, writing and it was nice to actually just write vocals on top of something and not thinking of playing guitar. Yeah. So we did the Dines X Hafey record. That's on Matthew K. Hafey across everything across all the DSPs. And he came out on that tour with us. We're like, Hey, let's just hang out. Let's eat and make content and play games. And that's what we did. And then oh, cool. I was like, Hey, Jared, do you think you can fill, fill in for me when I leave? And he stepped up to the plate and did it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, um, I'm not going to stand between you and your, your kids um, or your wife, but I, let me say this and I, not to overreach here, but there's a huge conversation I want to have about your lyrics. Um, because the other side of my life is uh, I write fiction and so words matter a lot to me. I, I totally dig because the approach you take to create the vocals is very, something very similar to what I do. But um, where some people just don't have a lot of interest in lyrical content. Like um, this is a place where uh, you also, I think, set trivium apart from other things. So in the future, not to, to monopolize your time, I'd love to just do another part two, even if it's short, to go into how you communicate these themes, if that's okay. Definitely, man. Definitely. Yeah, lyrics is as important as us. To, as the music, as the art, as the merch, as the logo, as the presentation of everything. We make sure everything is at top importance. Cool. Uh, all awesome, right. my friend. It's been a fantastic chat. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you. Yeah, And dude, I'm going to send, send all these friends over, so make sure you stay live. All right. Thank you, sir. All right, my friend. You take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Later, dude. Okay. That was uh, Matt Hafey. We're so glad to have gotten a chance to talk to him. Um, I have so much material that I want to cover uh, with Matt. I, I alluded to it there. I, I dug in pretty heavy to his um, to his several records and the thematic approaches he took on these several records. And uh, I'm really, really interested in uh, understanding more how it is that he is coming up with the, the notion of uh, approaching these, these things, whether it's domestic violence or Greek tragedy. Um, some of the stuff that harkens to some of his his own lineage. Um, 
so anyway, we'll we'll see if we can't get Matt for a part two, even if it's just 30 minutes to dig in on how he approaches that part of it. I do want to talk uh, to him about the Shogun record, which um, might, might be my favorite record, because uh, there's a lot there that um, harkens back. I think some of the decision-making had to do with um, his own background. Um, and then there's a whole section I want to do uh, and where we're going to talk about collaborations. So um, stuff he've d- he's done with Dragon Force, um, stuff that he's done. Um, uh, I want to talk more about the Jer- Jared Dine stuff. I want to talk stuff he's done with Adam uh, Jason Sukoff more. Um, I really want to talk to him also about the Metal Allegiance stuff that he's done. So, uh, you know, and w- the broader umbrella there is that um, his talents are such that a lot of people are really, really interested in uh, collaborating with him and, and having them lend his gift to their work. Um, he's so he's so crazy um, talented. And, and coupled with what I think we heard there is uh, a real discipline with what he does. Um, and I'm, I'm increasingly finding with the artists that I talk to um, you know, I talked to um, Russell Allen the other day. I talked to Howard Jones not too long ago. I talked to most of the Dream Theater guys, and there's a there's a um, there's a certain sort of um, diligence paid to the craft that sets them apart, and Matt's part of that. Um, so I want to. That's the larger point, and then there's all of these sort of really meaningful um, places you can go and hear him and the people he's working with. So uh, I'm really excited about uh, digging back in and talking to Matt. Um, uh, sharing some of the the specific music. I know we get, we get, end up getting muted out whenever we share the music here, but we'll probably just do it anyway um, for the purpose of the stream. Um, and then, <laughs> you know, the other thing we that was most obvious that we didn't talk very deeply about was gaming. So I spent 15 years at Microsoft um, working all inside Xbox and games for Windows um, on all their franchises and with all the third-party partners. And I know that, that uh, he's a big gamer. Um, so I don't know, maybe I can even get him in on a match. But I want to talk to him about um, his gaming life and go deeper than just the nod to the fact that it's something that he does uh, to stream. Um, and then I guess there's even more. Like um, he's, such a, he's such a multidimensional person. There's, there's also the, his whole Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, I've been a fan. BJ Penn was my favorite early MMA guy. And um, I, I really want to talk to him about uh, that whole category. He talked about the discipline that, that um, he learned there in order and, and applied in other places, and I think that's super cool. But I want to talk to him about MMA as a craft by itself and find out if he's done fights, um, you know, find out who his favorite uh, uh, fighters are because uh, the game's changed a lot. Um, and then he's got some really, really interesting um, sort of ideological um, um, thoughts that I've read about that I that I, I, I are really consonant with the way I think about how we should have civil discourse, and I think you kind of saw that. You know what he did here was emblematic of that, but um, I think the more we can talk about that, the better. Not that it needs to be a deep conversation, but um, you know this is this this typifies how I think the metal community actually, you know, regards one another. Um, so there's some things that he's he's said uh, in public that I think are just so beautifully stated, and I wanted to just dig a little bit deeper, double click on those with him. So um, that's my wrap up. There's uh, you know there's probably at least another hour if I can uh, if I can convince him to come back on, um, maybe here in a couple of weeks, and we'll spend some more time with Matt because there's uh, I think the work he's doing is 100% what I want this channel to be about which is to um, break down the stereotypes of rock and metal um, as seen from the outside and to go even further than saying it's legitimate because I don't think we need to apologize for it, but to go further and to say um, the music actually has a real resonant value uh, in a lot of ways. Of course, the thrill and, of course, just to let go and go have fun, but it, it, o- it can operate at more levels than that. And I think once we just have that conversation, part of what this does is it, is it demystifies it. It'll, uh, my hope is it will grow um, people's willingness to sort of step, you know, dip their toes in. Um, because I, I'm very passionate, n- not, not as a f- function of commerce, I'm very passionate about us trying to find a way to um, bring the music to more people and, and broaden the audience for folks like Matt who spend so much time developing their craft which is not something I think that can be as readily said about other, um, other genres of music. And I'm not trying to throw shade on anybody. There's talent everywhere. 
but uh, I have watched over my life, I've watched, you know, rock and metal kind of um, become bywords, you know, something you say, um, you want to attribute something that's rebellious or cool, you use language, but the music, which underscores it, um, is lost. And so uh, my crusade is to see if, if in having conversations with guys like Matt, um, we can't we can't get other people who are um, open enough to listen to it to start to embrace the music um, and create then more audience for these musicians in order to have careers and share their gift. So that's my that's my um, soapbox. I'll step off. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed the conversation with Matt. He could have just spoken by himself and it would have been uh, worthwhile, but he. He was gracious enough to give me some time uh, to chat with him. If you if you like the approach here, uh, you know, go ahead and follow. There's a bunch of our, our BOD stuff. You'll see um, uh, how we're trying to build like a, a channel with uh, really focused on some of these great acts. And I've got um, I've got some folks coming up. I've got Joel Holkstra from White Snake uh, coming up. I've got Floor Jensen from Nightwish coming up. Um, um, Ariane's going to come on the show. Um, we've got some other lines in the water, but uh, I think these are the kinds of people we want to just kind of build on in order to try and grow uh, rock and metal. So there you go. Uh, thanks for joining and um, give us a follow if you dig it and share it if you're so uh, so disposed. And until next time, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye bye. <laughs>